we haven't all done kind of years of Buddhist training. We don't necessarily have the breathing exercises and the Mm -hmm. therapeutic sort of wisdom in our bodies. And when we say, okay, I'll just go gracefully with that. Mm -hmm. Are we just pushing it down and pushing it down and pushing it down? And one day we're just going to burst or we're going to get some physical mm, bad health Mm -hmm. repercussion in our body that is almost the buildup of this tension because I sometimes don't know if I genuinely am that gracious. Yeah, so interesting. There's a force within me waiting to smash down a wall. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to Women Are Mad, where we invite women to bring their anger into everyday conversation. I'm Salima Saxton. I'm an actress and writer. I'm Jennifer Cox, and I'm a psychotherapist. We noticed that anger is the one emotion that women aren't allowed to openly express. Meanwhile, everything around us is making us absolutely furious. We're all feeling it. Let's get together to work out what to do with it. Salima... What's made you mad this week? Um, well, my dad died uh, 36 hours ago. I seem to be counting it by hour at the moment. Um, and I was estranged from my dad. So it's a really weird feeling because I'm currently quite furious uh, that he wasn't the dad that I thought he might turn into, even in his 80s. Really pathetic hope there. Mm. Um, So uh, it's a surreal kind of feeling at the moment. Mm. But there are lots of angry threads to it because I have lots of, I have lots of tricky memories. I have lots of quite sweet memories. And I'm also doubting my own ability to remember I'm kind of angry at myself for wondering if I if I should have just sorted it all out before he died and kind of put a bow on it uh and I'm angry at what he wasn't mainly mm-hmm. and I'm angry that I've spent so many years in therapy sorting this all out and I imagined the day that he died I would very calmly process it and Obviously, that's not how it's happened because I'm counting his death in hours. Uh, so that's where I am. <sighs> that's quite a lot for an intro, isn't it? But I couldn't. The thing is, I was trying to think of jolly little madness stories, but I don't really have any. No. So that's where I am, and and also it's um, I've never mourned somebody. I've been fortunate enough not to have lost anybody particularly close to me as of yet mm. at this grand old age so um yeah I feel like I'm floating in the sky at the moment it's really odd I think there is so much shit out there in terms of how we're meant to mourn parents mm. and what we're meant to feel yes I- agreed <laughs> It's, I think it's so damaging that that exists, that these expectations and like frameworks exist when actually, if we're honest, so few people have experiences which fit within those templates, you know, straightforward, um, uh, uncomplicated Mm. experience of being parented. Like, Mm. I, 
I get as a therapist is probably skewed because obviously what I spend every day really dealing with is um, people's very complex relationships with parents. But equally, I, I feel pretty convinced that that's an accurate representation of the the wide demographic that most people have stuff that needs to be worked through mm. um, whether or not they have the means of taking themselves to therapy to do that mm. is you know uh debatable but i feel i feel most people probably have an awful lot that is unresolved and when that parent dies they are then left with yeah which is so unfair in a, in a way mm -hmm. yeah yes i think parents give children far too much shit to carry it makes me reflect on my own parenting mm -hmm. breaking generational um, behaviors yeah how much work has gone into I mean, shifting that, yeah, patterns that's the other thing isn't it if you are somebody that's put themselves forward to therapy to take responsibility and to try and stop those um toxicities in their tracks you know prevent them from bleeding over into another generation bloody hell you know being the one in that family tree having to put the brakes on and go it ends here that is some undertaking yeah yeah it really is it's bloody tiring isn't it yeah it is. yeah so there we go <laughs> okay um okay i'm gonna intro our fantastic guest brilliant this week. our guest today is a writer and journalist whose work runs the gamut from property porn to life as a single mother from her candid interviews to her book the hungover games her writing is relatable and extremely funny Please welcome the brilliant Sophie Haywood. Great. Well, let's should we just get let's get straight into it. Launch Joey, in Sophie, we're all ready. Okay, brilliant. So, Sophie, what makes you angry? Do you know? I don't usually have a policy as a single mother and as someone mm. who's written a book about being a single mother. Yes. Of not. I mean, my book is not moany and I don't like to moan and I don't write pieces moaning about it. And even my private Facebook posts are not moans, but I'm very fed up by how much more work women do for kids. Yes. The men that's not moany. That's not remotely moany. It's not just a parent thing. You know, it's a marriage thing. It's it's an everything thing. Um. It's sometimes it just, you know, sometimes you're going along being like, oh, I'll just be so zen and calm about this. And then some days it just hits you that you're almost helping perpetuate this bullshit status quo. Yeah. Being, by, not, do you mean by not launching in and sort of saying your piece about it. Well, you know. I'm in a situation where I do the vast majority the vast majority of the parenting, but, you know, my daughter does have a dad and he is now part of her life. And I think we had such a bumpy start that you become so grateful when you rebuild that friendship between the two parents. So grateful that over the years you sort of almost sublimate who you are. You know, I didn't used to be <laughs> this person. 
in, in you, it's oh. like, I'll just do nearly everything and, you know, you come when you're free. Um, <laughs> it's pissing me off. Well, of <laughs> Yeah, there's a one of I mean of, your book is brilliant and I would say to anybody who hasn't obviously most most people have read it by now but if they haven't read your book go and buy it immediately but one line I was rereading today actually uh, and it it's particularly particularly significant to me because my dad passed away on Saturday and you so you thank you um and you wrote, wrote about being a safe harbor for your daughter I don't know if you remember the sentence I do um, I do I don't remember yeah. that wording but I remember the feeling it, yes, I wish I I had taken it out, but 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 that not that not everybody gets one of those. Um, you also wrote about, and I just think being a single no, pair. It's on, good sorry. to be reminded of that in my <laughs> angry premenstrual. <laughs> yeah, it's beautifully I am put. Safe harbour that brings its own reward. Yeah, yeah. And um, my dad wasn't that. Um, right. and uh, I. You know, just from from reading, you know, of how how you had your daughter and your wit in it, um, but your absolutely horrifying honesty about it all as well. Mm. Um, I can only imagine what it takes to be that safe harbour sometimes. Sorry, it's a very windy way. I'm, I'm no, really, not I'm, windy I'm, at I'm, all. And thank yeah. you for that. I mean, that oh. you've hit the nail on the head. Um, it takes a lot to build a safe harbour and to keep it safe. And yeah. when you are the harbour. It's not like boats aren't hitting you as well. You yes, know, you can good point. protect mm. a smaller person from some of the boats, although you're not really there in their classroom at school and in their social life. But, um, you know, when you're being buffeted too, I think that is the absolute essence of being a parent is can you be a rock yeah. when you don't you necessarily well. feel like one? Yes, mm. yeah. And it takes real bravery, I think, real courage to be that harbour. Mm. Especially um, when you feel as if there's actual attack coming from somebody yeah. that you would hope would be kind of with you in that endeavour to protect the child. Yeah, totally. I just read some good advice for arguing couples. I mean, it was more for, you know, marriage guidance, but it said... um Ideally, they weren't saying don't argue, but they were saying an argument in a, in a couple should be the two of you trying to solve the thing, the problem. It's not the two of you trying to win over mm, each other. Yeah, mm. yeah, and um, that's quite a goal, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, but also that's quite, that. a, but that's quite a goal in for me in all aspects. I'm a parent. Um, in all aspects of my life, even friendship, I think sometimes to not yes, to yes. Mute, mute one's ego sufficiently yes. that, that you can lose and go, yeah, you're yeah. right and I'm right and I'm wrong and you're wrong and this is a We've bit of a mess. We've talked about this, haven't we, as well, the competition of tiredness that so many, yes. especially couples, get into. Yeah. And, you know, I guess Sophie as well, from where you were sitting, especially in those years of, of really you know, being in a struggle with someone who who didn't even want to be in that competition with you. Yeah. That's, you know, that's a completely different sort of dynamic to have to navigate than a lot of people would be stuck in. So how do you do it? And how have you done it? I've done it very graciously. You've got me on a, you know, a grump, well, happily grumpy day. Um, I do believe I've done it with good grace in the main, but you know, we are all fallible. Um, I, what I wonder about is when you practice, like you've just said, oh, okay, 
I'll lose this one. I'll I'll be, I don't know the bigger person or I'll check in with my humility. I won't try and beat my friends and things or my partner. Um, what I wonder if what women do and what maybe leads to this sort of epidemic of female suppressed rage is that we we haven't all done kind of years of Buddhist training. We don't necessarily have the breathing exercises and the mm-hmm. therapeutic sort of wisdom in our bodies. And when we say, okay, I'll just go gracefully with that. Mm-hmm. Are we just pushing it down and pushing it down and pushing it down? And one day we're just going to burst or we're going to get some physical mm, bad health mm-hmm. repercussion in our body that is almost the buildup mm-hmm. of this tension because I sometimes don't know if I'm being the graceful, bigger person who's just glad she got to have an unexpected baby who's, you know, turned out, you know, thanks be to God, to be this sort of glorious, healthy child. Um, I don't know if I genuinely am that gracious. Yeah, so interesting. There's a force within me waiting to smash down a wall. Yeah, Yeah. because I, look, I come from a family of martyrs. Right, not very yes, gracious. I recognise that. I recognise so sort of mother of yeah. So yes, yeah, so I have a South Asian background, part, partly. Yes, um, yes. and uh, there is uh, lots of maternal within, sublimation and sacrifice. Yes, yes. Um, so I have seen it in let's just call them elder members of that tribe. I have seen mm. the physical health ramifications of that martyrdom. Wow. Mm-hmm. So obviously that's an extreme example of what you're saying, and you don't strike me as somebody who has martyr-ish qualities, but... Um, I'm not really. No, no, we're even speaking about it, aren't we? I think if one's, if one's speaking about it, then I think one's yeah. relatively safe. Yeah. Um, but it, I think women, particularly of those generations, one above us, two above us, they didn't know what to do with it all. We, we are no. more able to know, aren't I we? Think, you know yeah. I think, you know what? And it's not their fault. got a really good point yes. because um, Sophie... You know, in the book, you talk about as well sadness and how sadness will sort of always have a home in your home. Yes, and I'm very big on that, yeah. Right, because actually our brains, to be healthy brains, they need to have exposure to, you know, fluctuating emotions across time. So you have to be sad, happy, excited, angry. Um, You need that kind of spectrum so that a brain can flourish and feel as if it's getting everything it needs for a child to have a different experience of different feelings across time you know in a school day in a school week and be able to bring them home and and talk about them and you to be doing the same back in your household i think is the way to a healthy life yeah and so maybe you don't then get left with all this sort of martyrish stuck in emotion even if we're not quite sure for you yet where anger has been living the fact that we want to talk about that but there's at least been a sort of experience of you know different things coming and going and that's that's really in terms of what we're looking for health wise i think that's very positive one thing i did notice when my daughter was very small and at that period I was, I mean, I'm very grateful to help from my own mum, actually, who did an awful lot, and my dad at that point, but they didn't live in London where I lived, and it was just me. I was absolutely the sole carer. No, in Yorkshire, um, right? One thing I far. noticed, because I went to an antenatal class, and everyone else was in a heterosexual couple in that class. There were about 10 families. One thing I noticed when I met up with the other mums who were on maternity leave, and we'd all sort of sit and breastfeed together, or a bunch of three or four of us would, 
was that, as you say, that competition for tiredness. Mm. You know, you'd hear stories like, um, oh, I lay there last night. I just lay there thinking, can you not hear? You know, can you not hear the baby? Is he going to wake up? Is he going to wake up? You know, and I lay there until I couldn't bear it anymore. And I thought, gosh, that actually sounds more stressful than just me. Any time, 2 a.m., 4 a.m., 6 a.m., you know, that baby cries, you just sit bolt upright like a rocket. You go Mm. and deal. Sometimes it's a 10-minute job. Sometimes it's awful. You know, it's hours. The the morning has begun. But there was no other resentment. It was just like, oh, God, I wish I could stay asleep. But, you know, if I came downstairs and the sink was full of washing up, it was my washing up that I hadn't expected or sort of silently seethed, well, he could have done that last night. And actually, I think in a weird way, I had an easier time that first year I wasn't resettling into my marriage. I hadn't really known a marriage at that point. I hadn't, you know, I hadn't been in a long relationship with somebody who walked off. It was it was deeply casual from the start. And I hadn't had a long relationship. That's kind of how it ended up, where it ended up. So I actually think on some level it was just mm. as hard for the married people because um, the energy you put into sitting there thinking, is he going to do it? Is he going to notice the washing up? Yeah. <laughs> that passive, yeah. aggressive totally. sort of war of attrition. That's where it all starts to kind of embed, I think, that really passive style of, of holding this stuff. But whoa, whoa, whoa. Also, yeah. sorry, when have I ever say whoa, whoa, whoa? <laughs> when, um, I haven't slept much the last couple of days. When, is it I, call me, call me, um, aggressive but I wonder when people don't boundary themselves within relationships you know like I don't I don't have a perfect marriage obviously but um I'm relatively clear about uh the division of certain right well great well that's huge I have I have since then had a long relationship with a partner but um and how are you in that in terms of divisions and and sim- simmering could you strike you know, pretty strident still and- not great at setting boundaries and you know feeling because really? of my mother and probably her mother sort of coming through and as you say that's when the martyrdom kicks in but mm-hmm. I read something very useful that said in a very sort of blunt overgeneralized way there's two kinds of families mm-hmm. there's the one where you expect people to be telepathic and there's the one where you just say it. And I thought, oh, my God, I come from a school of telepathy. Oh, this yes, is, I come I've not work. heard this. This is so true. That's though. great. And it it's... doesn't work. I mean, I come from a pretty happy family. You know, my parents mm. are great. I'm not suggesting there's any sort of dysfunction on a major scale, but there is very much, you should see how much I'm suffering. Why don't you see it? Well, you yeah. didn't tell us, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Showing, yeah. showing, not telling. Okay, so and I've moved from a family of telepathy to straight. I'm married to like Mister, as Jen knows, Mister. Say it as it is. So Mister, but it is. But you know, he, he listen to the point that uh, his a guy who works for him passed on his condolences about my dad, and yeah. my hus- husband texts back, "Don't worry, he was a really mean, blah blah. <laughs> She's okay." <laughs> so like, and I was like, okay, I mean. He was like, you well, might not be okay even losing someone who you had a very difficult relationship. Exactly, with. and I'm I have not, not, yeah, and I'm I'm actually not okay. But but also just he's very able just to go yeah, but he was this. Whereas so there's, no, there's, there's no dance of yeah, you know, unspoken yeah. stuff. No, but I appreciate that because of who I'm. Who I'm um, from. Can we ask you? So uh, back to your anger. 
Sophie. Come on, Sophie. Um, when, when did you last get angry with someone or something? And what happened? How angry are we talking? We're mm. open to everything. I guess I, mean, any, I recently got sent. Now, this is going to be like world's smallest violin coming out. Oh, the poor, impoverished single mother. I got sent to review a spa retreat. Oh, <laughs> it's so sorry me. for you. Well, nobody <laughs> step into my It's seat. not a great beginning to a story. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I had to go. And it's like women's sort of sexual health retreat, which wasn't. Oh, okay. Yeah. What I thought I got there and they it was all quite medical. It was quite a posh, fancy place overseas. It wasn't sort of sitting in a circle and being touchy feely. It was quite doctors in white coats, sort of looked like a L'Oreal advert. Oh. And they got there and they weigh you and measure you and tell you you're too fat. And I was Oh no. This is horrible. my sexual, you know, confidence. It's gonna dwindle to nothing. And then they went on and on with this sort of mix of sort of Western medicine and Chinese sort of nutrition, acupuncture, yin and yang based ideas. And they went between the two. So like in the morning, I'd have a Chinese doctor saying I had low iron. In the afternoon, I'd have a Western doctor taking my blood and saying I had too much iron. <laughs> so do you have, does that mean you've got the right amount of iron? <laughs> I know. I like, exhausted. I'm exhausted for you already. I mean, this is just so and tiring. all the way through, they kept saying things like, but with your cholesterol levels. Oh. And I was, and they were saying, you know, what you really should be eating is this. And I was thinking, I do, I do. This diet, I've got a friend who calls me lentils. I do eat this diet, the healthy diet that you're describing. Mm. You're just making assumptions because I've got a big tummy. And at the end of the week, they actually got the full lab test results back and they looked at them and they said, oh, your cholesterol is actually really good. And I was like, right, you've just <laughs> been assuming all week. <laughs> uh-uh. <laughs> and then they went through all this stuff and they said, you know, but in the Chinese um well, they didn't say in the Chinese system. They said, obviously, you know, because your age, oh, you were you're 47, oh, where are you in sort of the seven-year cycles? And I said, you know, this seven-year cycle thing, who who says? Who says we go in seven? Why not six? Why not eight? Why not ten? Who says? <laughs> and this woman could not cope. And she was like, this is this, you. This. And anyway, and I just, I think I'd reached to my limit. I would not back down. And I kept saying, who invented yes. it? When? What yeah. was the metric? And this good, woman good. was like, get out of my... I mean, she wasn't, but her face of thunder. And I kept but, saying, I'm a journalist. I'm, I need to know yes. what's the seven. I'm not against it. I've actually had very good experience with Chinese medicine, but I need you to tell me why my body is going to change every seven years, if that's what you're... And um, honestly, the whole thing made me erupt in... <laughs> Yes, so... it would made, made me erupt too. Well, you, you know what happened? I came home. I spent the whole week saying to them, you've made an assumption that I should be losing weight. That is an assumption. Nobody asked me. Nobody checked in. Could have had an eating disorder in the past. Mm, you don't yeah. know what you're doing with this stuff. Anyway, I moaned at them all week for doing that. And then I came home and weighed myself and I'd lost half a stone and I've been really <laughs> wow do you think it was the opportunity to vent all that rage you lost oh, I'm a pathetic weak vain person like, oh that would so be me exactly I think it's great now I'm telling everyone to go there <laughs> oh I love this oh god that that's like a snapshot into my life yes 
I really relate to this. I've been doing all these yeah. private Instagram stories going, oh my God, now they're doing this to me. And everyone would be like, so we're going to airlift you out of there. This is insane. So then when I wanted to send my text, people would go, oh, I was like, oh, no. oh hang on a minute. My dress looks, oh yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> so, um, but also maybe I lost half a stone of rage. Yes. yes. I'm thinking yes. Th- maybe that's very plausible. Water retention. <laughs> maybe I just needed somebody yeah. I'll never see again to say what, because I actually said one of these guys, I said to him, I'm going to leave the room now because what you're saying to me is nonsense. Good <laughs> and for I you. On him. Maybe I just needed to walk what was out. Their, what was their reaction? I mean, I know they had these phases of thunder, but was there anything um, kind of, because we're, we're interested in how women really aren't allowed to express their, yeah. their mm. So you're not. Them. So finally they got in touch with me and said, like, we hear that things, you know, they we hear. <laughs> and I see, and because I had some genuine legitimate complaints, they said, okay, the manager's going to meet you tonight to speak Ooh. to you. And when I got there, the manager had, they had a fancy boutique that I hadn't been in at this spa, like a really expensive gift shop with sort of, you know, thousand pound necklaces and things. So he walked up to me with a big grin and a bag, a gift bag from the boutique mm-hmm. that I hadn't gone in. And I was a bit like, oh, Boy. amazing. Like they're going to give me like a silk scarf to say yeah. sorry for calling me. Yeah. <laughs> And I get there and he's like, open it, open it. So, I, you know, man gives woman gift bag. Woman gratefully opens it. <laughs> and it was a recipe book of all their weight loss. Recipes. No! <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> Terrible gift. That might as well have been a Hoover. Oh, it's almost no. like they kind of had your number. <laughs> yeah. Oh. One of the things I'd been complaining about was the food and it was oh. there in the house cook. <laughs> Oh, my God. But, you know, you know what's interesting about this story is that all I can think, though, I'm constantly thinking, but she did lose half a stone. Oh. Half a stone. That's all that's all what's going around in my silly little monkey brain. It worked. It, it worked. worked. But it worked. And I didn't know you could lose that in a week. So, I mean, amazing. Oh, God. So, you you strike me as someone who's very good at expressing anger and, deliver, and delivering it. You know what's it. funny? This thing was aimed at, I think, a sort of perimenopausal, maybe late 40s, 50s, 60s, menopause, you know, postmenopausal. Mm that kind of age group. And I thought, mm. actually, we are the age group they should, we are the demographic they should not be messing with because my yes. truth serum yeah, is like so pouring out of me now. I'm yep. like, I'm not prepared to listen. Yeah. Well, but, no, but, th- but this is the wondrous thing, isn't it? About it's being divine. in one's mid forties onwards. Yeah. yeah. Is that I, uh, well, Jen, Jen has witnessed my transformation from, you know, obsessive people pleaser to- um, Like a butterfly. Yeah, to truth speaker. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's gorgeous. Yeah. <laughs> you do shed a few people, though. You, like, do, you do shed a few a lot. people. You shed a few pounds. Yeah. Um, I think what really helps in, across these ages is that we start to lose the outer circle. Like, I don't right. think I have an outer circle now. No, it's, only, it's only the real ones. <laughs> Yeah, but that's yeah. I think mine mine has disintegrated into kind of dust as well. Mm. Yeah, so whereas the inner ones are just bloody glorious now. But and everything. you can't make an old friend is something I've learned. Yes. Lately. Whereas the shorthand, I mean, isn't it? You know, see, yeah. I've known Jenny since I was eighteen at university. Yeah. So like, it's the shorthand. And just knowing that I have a friend called Chandra who is just the most loyal friend and I hope I am for her too she just 
you know, we've known each other for over 20 years and been through a lot together and used to share a flat before she was married. And um, I just think it's funny because there's friends I have, you know, she doesn't work in media. She's not a journalist. We don't read the same books. There's friends who have more similar careers to me who I can have all these conversations with that I don't have with people outside the media. Mm-hmm. And there's people who I'm similar to in other ways. You know, I used to go out and get sort of drunk and overdo it and party. And But you just get to a point in your life where you think, well, none of that matters because I trust you yes. and care for you so deeply. I can phone you sobbing, and, yeah. saying anything. And like, my God, how lucky to have a friend like that. And also, you know, it's it's the friends that I I now those few people that I can be a total I can behave atrociously and that's okay because they still love me or I can I can be I can just yeah. be me but they still love Salima for being uncancelable. Yeah. Yes. Knowing, especially in the fragile age we live in, it's knowing that there are people to whom you are uncancelable. Yes, that's per- so perfectly put. That's exactly it. Yeah, it's just amazing knowing you can be sort of that much of a mess. Yes. Speaking of of mess and getting back to anger. Um, So we worked out that you're very good at expressing it and that you're not afraid to say it. No, no, no. I simmer and I simmer. And when I build up, I scream. And I was in a relationship with someone for the past few years. And um, I did sit on things and sit on things. And then when I brought them up, I'd be shouting and he'd say, I can't deal with you. You're you're screaming at me. And he'd walk out of the room. So, um, no, we didn't have a, we had, I always think the relationship's kind of two halves. It's how do you cope with, the good times, mm-hmm. which you also need coping with. And how do you cope That's with the bad point. times? And we were brilliant at good times. We got on like a house on fire. We were such, such fun and intellectual fun and, you know, shared. I mean, we could talk all night, but I think neither of us knew how to sort of model for doing conflict well. So I don't think I am good at expressing it, actually. I think... I've, you know, I've learned now having had that kind of mini marriage that, um, because you can go along for years as a single person thinking, well, I'd be great in a relationship. <laughs> <laughs> Look at these people with their husbands not even telling them the truth about what's going on with them. <laughs> they live with the deceit. And then you get into one and you're like, oh, I'm just like everybody else. <laughs> I love that. There's also, you know, as someone who, I had a child on my own having, you know, it wasn't like I'd had two divorces and thought, oh, sorry, I'll go to a sperm donor. It wasn't that kind of no. parenting at all. I really just hadn't built a marriage at all. So to then get through sort of the first eight years of that, you can hilariously, you can build a very high opinion of yourself, like what your marriage would be like. You can become, I think just as a, without the child, I think as a long-term single person, mm can actually become, you know, people think it's just, there's some sort of pity attached to long-term single, but you can be quite conceited. <laughs> I said that, yeah, so, so, because I'm the, I'm the absolute yin to your yang, if yeah. I may be so bold, because I've yes. been, um, uh, I've been attached forever. Um, right. And sort of serial monogamy or the same relationship. This, the same relationship, but yeah. he kind of became my family early on for reasons so addressed earlier. Yeah, very significant. Um, and I think there's a conceit attached to any path that we th- we 
you know, it's the idea of I imagine myself in other lives and I imagine how well I would have done them <laughs> in quite a conceited way had that been my path. So I wonder if we're all prone to a little of that, you know, wherever wherever we are. I, I... Well, I think there's a lot, you know, there's an awful lot of compromise in keeping a relationship, a two-person relationship together. And I think... Massively. When you're not, I mean, even as a single mom, there were some things, you know, when we were all sort of weaning our babies roughly at the same time. And I was like, oh, I read that book on baby led weaning that someone recommended and that's it. It's convinced me I'm doing it. Mm. Case closed. Seems to make my life easier. Didn't really have a blender yeah. to any pureeing with anyway. So that was just my sort of 24 hour snap decision. And other people in the group were like, oh, I wanted to do that. I read that book too, but my partner wasn't into it. And again, I'd be thinking like, oh, yeah. God, you're boring lives, having to consider someone else's. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you can become quite sort of hard to live with maybe. Because mm. I remember thinking like, okay. oh, I do. I do remember thinking that like, God, like, what's it to him? You know, you sort of tell <laughs> I hadn't really made a relationship work at this point. Um, yeah, I was, you know, I'm used to doing things my way. I do think there might be something in, um, this idea of, of somebody else putting their point of view, even if it's yes. a load of rubbish, but just putting it for the sake of it or bringing in their tiredness levels and, you know, maintaining yes. that they're much worse than yours and all of that, which I do think is, you know, at the, at, at the root of so many women's fury, Totally. And I think what I had over the years of single parenting was you do carry a burden, you know, the labour burden, the emotional burden, and you are lonely. You know, once your kid, you know, most parents are desperate for their kid to go off to sleep at night. And I would very much want her to go off to sleep and get that done. But then I would sort of not go down to the living room. I'd kind of sit on my bed, mm. scrolling on my phone because sort of 8, 9 p.m. living room on your own. I didn't like it. I didn't like mm. it. So there was a definite loneliness, but the point I want to make about all that was that there was a certain purity <laughs> to all of it. You know, my loneliness was quite pure and my tiredness was quite pure. It wasn't like, oh, I'll take the bins out, tiredness. And um, I do think if I'd also been fighting that someone else-ness that you're talking about, like I do, I do see that as a whole other stressor people yes. um i just wanted to ask you about in terms of your own anger though and what it's driven you towards like do you feel as if it, it's been useful as a sort of fuel at times like if you're not having to waste it on on a man essentially um or on these feelings towards yourself <laughs> is it more available can you use it to to kind of um greater good and have you done anything that you feel is incredible with it Oh, what a great question. I love the idea of not wasting my anger on a man, <laughs> by which we don't mean, you know, not wasting your emotions on a man. We no. mean that there is anger which we can plough into a different field. Totally. Mm. It's energy. Yes. Ooh. I mean, it's funny because these things eventually, you can sort of run on adrenaline for years, and then there comes a point where you're just kind of, <gasps> I think I definitely had a thing where my career sort of took off when my child was tiny because I was just running on pure sort of uh, adrenaline I think and then I think it got to about I think it was about five or so and I did just sort of have to like take to my bed I think I and what was that crashed. Sophie was it just that you felt you okay I've got to achieve 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 now I have a child or was it was it some kind of switch 
Because yeah, it's you're funny, book, within you're... about a year of becoming a parent, which was a single parent, which was, you know, I've only got the one child, so that's my whole thing. You know, people have so many worries about you having a baby on your own. And also my career had been like it was quite rock and roll. It was like going on tour with the band, interviewing the band, going to LA to interview actors. It was all very exciting. And you can't do that with a newborn. Well, maybe you can, but I didn't think I could. And I just thought, God, I'm going to have to really, I, like I've like I've lost my, I've lost my career. I can't, there's nothing. I'm gonna, <laughs> Who am I, I suppose? Shit. I'm going to mm-hmm. have to write about this because then I get to stay at home with the baby if I can find a way to write about staying at home with the baby, but be sort of funny and compelling and maybe even hope that like even some men would read it, not just women, mm. which did happen. Um, I just thought I'm tra- not trapped, tra- you know, I, I was very glad to have a baby, but you are a bit trapped in the house. Yeah. I thought I'm going to have to write from from my entrapment. <laughs> yeah. But I did, and I was quite inspired. And I think, again, maybe it's the hormones, but there was a bit of that truth serum that I was talking about with hormonal menopausal women. I mean, I was 35 at this point, so different stage, but obviously full of hormones. And um, I tripled my income within 18 months of having the baby. Oh, wow. And I love that you're saying this out loud on the podcast because we so rarely hear this journey. Well, I don't want to set some unrealistic target for some single mum who sat at home just feeling absolutely shy. Like, I don't want to be that annoying person. But But for you, this was the direction it went in. Yeah. And I would actually, now you've made me think about that, I probably, you know, one of the fuels I was running on probably was anger. Yeah. Right. I remember sure. it had to stop at one point. It couldn't go on because I remember someone would say, oh, can you write this piece for this this week? And I'd think, oh, God, I've got loads on this week. Every day in my diary looks pretty hectic, but let me see. And I remember after a couple of months of this, of always trying to say yes to everyone and fit everything in because it's, you know, it's another few hundred quid. Mm. I remember this dawning on me. This was new information that had not occurred to me that the midnight till 4am slot in my diary was not available for work and I shouldn't be filling it in as a time to do writing. And I had, I remember remember when it dawned on me that maybe, maybe that was wrong. (laughs) Oh no, Sophie. (laughs) Yeah. So there's a fuel there, which was going to run out at some point. You know, when I say to myself, oh, I'll do that like at at nine o'clock after dinner and everything's out of the way. Forget about it. Any piece of work I tell myself I'm starting at 9 p.m. now. I'm just, oh, yeah. I can't, I just, it, my brain's gone. My mm. brain's gone. Unless I have to like watch a documentary for work, I can't write anything. Yeah. But I was, what, 10 years younger? Yeah. I still don't really understand it. Um, well, I do wonder if, like you're saying, there was so much sort of going on at the time that in a way needed an outlet. Like, you know, these feelings that were clearly generating a force inside of you, you you angled it around so that they could sort of best serve you. Yeah, and clever, I mean, like huge kudos to you because I wonder where they might, it, it, it might have gone otherwise. Yeah, it really could have. It definitely could have swung around. Interesting to think where it could have gone. Well, I think it would have come in on the self potentially like other like happens with other women you know that sort of female martyr thing that you're talking about in your sort of ancestry Salima like I do I do see it in mine as well and I'm just like no 
Yes, yeah, same. I, I, I would rather I be anything else, anybody else. I'd rather be selfish. I yeah. would rather be selfish. But, yeah. well, they would say selfish. Well, it's funny because that's the two options. Yeah. If yeah. you're not yeah. a martyr, you're yeah. selfish. Maybe yeah. you're just yes. self. Oh, my God. Yes. Um, uh, Sophie, we like to invite women into our virtual rage room to, to wrap things up um we're handing you a baseball bat rage room the first thing the current news item that's making you seethe well we are in the middle of a very very intense war which i think is almost too much to just you know to yeah. put into a sound bite and sort of would be disrespectful to try um there's another news item making me annoyed there's a woman who was killed i think it was in ilford called zara alina there was a guy on the streets looking, looking for a woman to attack. He's on lots of CCTV. He'd followed a woman around a supermarket. He tried someone else and she'd away from him. He was a violent man. And finally he got his victim and took her and sexually assaulted her and killed her. He's just been, he's won his appeal. Hasn't oh, he? I heard. And oh. um, he's had his sentence reduced. So you're just, you know, you're allowed. Well, not allowed. He is still in jail, but not for as long as I'd like. Mm. He, you're allowed to roam the streets at night trying woman after woman until you find one you can kill. This is what, and the family actually came through and said, didn't they, that this, what message does, does this send women? Yeah. yeah. I mean, what, where's her right to appeal? You know, mm-hmm. she changed her mind about being dead. Mm-hmm. Um, that made me really, really angry. Yeah, okay. Um, aspect of modern life making you fume? I think the social media companies... And that's kind of my second home where I live. The internet. Um, I really think it's a cliche now, but it's true that they have fueled this binary. And we have become, I just noticed this morning that someone had unfollowed me for something political I'd said. And I thought, but you know, what the news is teaching me at the moment is that building peace with people we disagree with is huge. You know, I keep looking at the Middle East and thinking of the Good Friday Agreement in Mm. Northern Ireland and, you know, people there saying we thought it was impossible. We never, ever thought this day could come. Political solutions like that only come from being willing to sit with people you deeply disagree with and probably hate with every bone of your body. Yes. There's no peace without it. So the way the algorithm has set us up side against side and the way we unfollow someone because we don't want our timeline to have a different opinion, um, it's really, it's it's there's not peace at the end of that. And I think social media has really bled into our real lives, our real everyday tangible physical lives of not being able to sit with anybody who is different or says something at a dinner party you don't agree with debate it has become so difficult i love i love disagreeing hugely with people you know ruder but also i i enjoy the friendships i've developed over the years where we probably vote very differently have different ideas i'm glad i enjoy that who vote differently from me me too me too there is that young sort of juvenile delete me if you vote this and yes um, If, as I do, you live in a country where most elections don't go your way, that means there's an Mm. awful lot of people in this country Mm. whose opinions I'd be, as a journalist, ceasing to hear, lives I'd be ceasing to know, understand. Um, What good would I be as a writer if I didn't engage with all these other people? 
Mm. Yeah. Mm. And and also hold their own personal history as a value, understand where their ideas have come I know. from. Aren't people just yeah. interested and curious in Aren't the, other? the lack of Where's curiosity? that gone? Yes. It's so yeah. boring. It's so yeah. fucking boring. Okay, yeah. another question, another question. Behavior of others which gets on your wick. <laughs> I've just I've just been championing peace and tolerance, really. <laughs> but these people <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's maybe relevant to what I just said, but there's a lot of bossiness, isn't there? People are very. In what sense, though, Sophie? Like, who, but like, what kind of bossiness? You have do you to mean? do this. You have to say this. And um, yeah, I don't. I've never responded very well to bossiness. No, me either. I think it's really good to lead by example. One thing that annoys me is that there's the people I see politically actually going out there and helping people like the people I know who go and work in women's refuges and some of whom have got, you know, very successful businesses on the side, but they do. And then there's the people who shout the loudest about various isms online. Mm. And those are not the same people in my experience. Yes, that's so true. I think there's doing, I mean, I say this as, you know, I have not spent this morning volunteering in a women's refuge. So who the hell am I to talk? But, um, you know, my dad, is I mean, he's 91. He's too old to be having rows on Twitter, but he is a political active as well. He'd, he'd probably think that was too grandiose a term, but he's always campaigned for things he believes in. And whether that's something big to do with a war or something small, such as the woman who works in his local co-op where he shops, has always had a chair and he's always had a chat with her while she's sitting on her chair at the till. And, you know, one day he went in there and she didn't have a chair anymore. She was standing and this is a woman who's maybe 50, 60. And he said, Where, where's your chair gone? And she said, oh, new management, John. You know, they've said, you know, they've said where to be more. We'd be more productive if we stood, you know, all day, sort of whatever, eight to 10 hour shift. And, um, you know, my dad's an educated white man who can make his voice heard. Mm. And he was just outraged for the women in the shop whose chairs had been taken. And he wrote letters to head office oh. and he campaigned and they got their chairs back. Lovely, John. Oh, wow. He's amazing. So, you know, I have a lot of time for that. <laughs> yes. A lot yes. of time for that. Angriest moment on public transport. Oh, do you know, actually, this is a moment of shame. I did nothing, <laughs> but I did feel the woman dealing with it. Uh, this is a race incident. Oh. There were two white women getting on a bus who wanted to sit. I mean, I can understand wanting to sit with your friend on an aeroplane. On a London bus, where <laughs> is on it longer than what twenty half an hour max. She had grown women. These were wanted to sit together. We're talking middle aged women, and there was um, a woman with brown skin in a veil who was carrying herself in a very modest way, mm-hmm. and became apparent when they started talking to her that she maybe didn't speak much English, and they were asking her if she could move out of the seat she was on on the bus. So she could go to a different place so they could have to and actually a black woman stepped in and said are you doing what I think you're doing you're asking a woman of colour to get off her seat on the bus and I mean it was just it was shocking and they were they were just chatty Cathy's you know um and of course then the woman who'd been asked to move was very embarrassed and she wanted you know she was trying to do do what they wanted and she didn't want that she couldn't bear the fuss and she was embarrassed but um this other woman stood her ground and I I just thought wow to have so little awareness even to do it but Mm. to not think about the history 
of a white person moving a person of color on it to not have any sense of what that means um I was completely not sure I was just on the floor Sophie thank you so much for bringing yourself today thank you you showed up with all of your emotions yes it's been brilliant yeah it's been such a pleasure thank you what a wonderful podcast so what's this conversation brought up for us Okay, so I just thought it was so interesting to hear Sophie talking about how there wasn't the, you know, obviously this is not to take away at all from the experience of being a single mother doing it all on your own, but how she wasn't having to deal with that kind of constant competitive or negotiation even or just different negotiation. Yeah, Yeah. that input from Mm. from a partner. Yeah being in the in situ i did think that is interesting isn't it thinking about like the kinds of things that build that build rage up in a woman in that way that isn't easily expressed because it's Mm. that thing of like when someone comes in if they've been at work all day and says what have you been up to how do you possibly begin to start cataloging there was this and then this and then this and there's it's like it's so boring you can't even bear to hear yourself say it but it is your entire world and a notion that the other person doesn't really give a shit as well and is only asking out of politeness. And maybe when you're saying it, you're saying it with incredible force and feeling because you're feeling pretty riled up about a day doing it. Yeah, um, but also, look, even if you are in a relationship that works and that is pretty coherent and you divide the labour and everything, I was interested to hear about her absolute laser focus that when you're pushed into a, situa- into a situation, sometimes, not always, sometimes mm-hmm. a, a, a claustrophobic small situation can really in- allow you to absolutely flourish. I mean, it's ex- extraordinary how she's managed to do that with her career. Thank you for listening and sharing in our anger. Tune in next time. And remember, you're not mad to feel mad. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.